0: episode of Not d brought to you by EM World Live. I'm your host, Jessica. And this week, we have an any award-winning Jason Cordova with us. Jason, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: I am delighted to have you because we're going to be talking about Brindlewood Bay, this excellent game, uh, and digging into that. Uh, So that's the topic today. So if you have any questions about that, please feel free to jump in the chat and ask, and I'll be there in the comments with links and answers for you. Um, But before we dig into that, Jason, um, I am a very nosy person. I'm interested in you (laughs) and your background and your history. Um, So the first question I'm going to ask you is if you remember your first experience with role-playing games, do you remember the first game that you played?
1: I do, yeah. The very first role-playing game I played was the Marvel Superheroes role-playing game, the Ooh. uh from back in the 80s. It was mm-hmm. the uh the advanced box set version. And um what had happened was uh my dad, I was like 10 years old at the time, so I was pretty young. Uh my dad would take me to this uh comic book shop all the time to look at comic books, you know. And oh, yeah. I saw this game there and I knew it was a game of some sort, but I didn't have any idea what yeah, kind yeah. of game it was, you know? But I convinced him to buy mm-hmm. it for me. And I probably spent two months reading the books, having <laughs> no, no idea what I was doing. Like I had mm-hmm. no I had no conception of it. I had not, I didn't know what Dungeons and Dragons was. I, so I just oh, had okay. no like, I had no context. And so I did not mm-hmm. understand what this was, but I was fascinated by it, but I didn't know what was going on. Uh, sure. But an older kid came over, and this older kid knew what role-playing games were, taught mm-hmm. me how to play it, and ran the game for me like 1v1. And um I actually and- really, I, I I really distinctly remember this like moment where my character, um, I was playing a villain and I was breaking into a jewelry store or something. Of
0: course. And,
1: yeah. And 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 he and I remember this kid who was running the game. He goes, he goes, he kind of describes the jewelry store and everything. And then he goes, what do you do? And I was like, what do you mean? What do I do? Like, (laughs) do I do something with this paper? Or like, I don't know. Like he's like, what do I, what do we mean? What do I do? And he's like, just tell me what you do. And it took me a minute to, to grok what Mm -hmm. he was saying, but I, I eventually did. And I was, and I was like, oh, this is for me. Like, this is for me. This is what I want to do, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Like, I love this. Like, just, it felt so open with possibility, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was my first role-playing game, and I kind of pretty swiftly moved on to uh, second edition Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, That was probably the main game I played for most of my youth, and Mm -hmm. uh, but also I played... Uh, things like uh, riffs and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and uh, uh, Shadowrun, and I'm, I'm, age- mm-hmm. I'm aging myself a bit here. Um, uh, <laughs> vampire, all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. so. amazing. So it sounds sound like you had a really kind of well-rounded TTRPG diet. So you were trying loads of different stuff. Yeah,
1: like. yeah. I mean, it yeah. was it was really exciting. It was a different time, you know, pre-internet. So we <laughs> a lot of what a lot of like. A lot of times you just had to like kind of pick something up and try it. Like there was no yeah. one to like tell you, or there was no easy way of finding out like whether something was good or not. So you just yeah. sort of. And we didn't really have any basis for comparing either. And when you're young, you know just cool art and guns and powers is like enough right it's <laughs> yeah. like making me excited about something right so it's got a marvel
0: superhero uh, you know. theme it's teenage mutant terror
1: yeah 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 again. like riffs, got riffs, it. riffs mechanically probably one of the worst games ever written but like at the time it was like so exciting you know like, like <laughs> oh my gosh and nowadays it, it you know it doesn't really fly for lots of different reasons but mm-hmm. uh but you know i, I took a break and roll from role-playing games and like mm-hmm. basically for all of the aughts and early 2010s that it, uh so i missed mm-hmm. like three 30 oh and three five and four. I missed all those editions of Dungeon Dragons. Mm-hmm. And um I came back in twenty thirteen, kind of lured back by the indie RPG scene.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So how did you become somebody that was like, you know, playing games, coming back to playing a lot of indie games, to be somebody that created a game that has done very very well any award-winning and if i'm correct brindlewood bay is the first game that you wrote it so is yeah. how, did, how did that come about yeah it's,
1: it's the first game i finished i should say it's probably more accurate okay. um okay. Uh, i i it depends on where you measure it i suppose but
0: mm-hmm.
1: um yeah so i actually my my journey to publishing was uh i i kind of started in community organizing and game organizing. Mm-hmm. So like I mentioned, I came back in 2013 to the hobby. And I was mm-hmm. just looking for people to play role-playing games with. And so sure. I I found this somewhat defunct group in Houston. Uh, it was just a Google Plus board uh, mm-hmm. uh, called The Gauntlet. And mm-hmm. they weren't really doing anything. But it was in Houston, which is where I was. And so I was like, hey, I'm interested in playing something that's not Pathfinder, because that was the big game at the time. Um, mm-hmm is anyone interested in trying out these other games, you know? And I was, you know, at that time it was like fiasco and stuff like that. Right.
0: Yeah.
1: And, um, and so somebody replied and, and we, we kind of got a thing going, you know, we would meet every Friday night at, you know, in a, in a, every Friday night in a, like a a closed down office park building, uh, that we had access to with no AC in Houston. Um, Love and uh, we but we would do that. And then Friday night became Fridays and Sundays. And that became Friday, Sundays and Wednesdays. And so we had this like really regular face to face group that just grew and grew in Houston. And eventually Amazing. we began to rival the, the size of the Pathfinder groups, so we would have like mm-hmm. six or seven tables at our Wednesday, you know, uh, uh, meet up. And so I was kind of doing that a lot. And then when I moved away from Houston, in order to kind of keep that Going, I, I moved the Gauntlet to be just an entirely online thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that led to podcasting, and so we—I've mm-hmm. uh, I've hosted several podcasts through the Gauntlet over the years. And then eventually, we got into publishing um, as a way of supporting our broader community initiatives, like financially. Mm-hmm. Um, and I so I, I published like smaller games and smaller things from other people, and then my own first game that I published was Brindlewood Bay. Though it was not the first game I. I had started writing another game called The Between, which is also now out um, about monster hunters in Victorian era London. And I had been working on The Between for a while and I was running into this, um, I was running into this issue with the mystery system. I didn't know exactly how I wanted the mystery investigating part of The Between to work. Mm -hmm. And rather than, rewrite the between over and over again, I decided to do a smaller mystery game just to try out some mm-hmm. of the basic concepts that I was playing around with. And so that's where Brindlewood Bay came from. Uh mm-hmm. I I don't remember how I got the original idea for it, but mm-hmm. uh but you know Murder She Wrote meets Cthulhu seemed like a pretty slam dunk idea. <laughs> and so and so yeah. you know it's what you know it's 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 a it's a pretty good hook. And so
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I started working on that and I put Brindlewood Bay out, uh, you know, cause it kind of, it was originally just kind of a sketch for the between, but it ended up being its own game. And, and it's, mm-hmm. a, you know, it's a, it's a big hit and we're really excited about it. And the between is very popular now too. And so it's really interesting because the two games are very much like, in some sense, I worked on them at the same time, but Brindlewood mm-hmm. Bay did come out first, but yeah. they also are in communication with each other. Like Brindlewood okay. Bay informs the between the between informs Brindlewood Bay and back and forth. And so, yeah, that's kind of, how that all that's the short version, but yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it sounds like an interesting, believe
1: uh, it or not, that was the short version.
0: version.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, 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 that's great.
0: Um, I mean, for people that haven't heard of Brindlewood Bay, because we're mm-hmm. talking about it because, because we know about right. it. Could you give yeah. uh, a brief overview? So if somebody's yeah. going about it for the first time, what, what is Brindlewood Bay?
1: Brindlewood Bay is a tabletop role-playing game about a group of elderly women in a fictional town in New England called Brindlewood Bay. Um, these women, uh, they are, all have partners who are deceased and they've sort of moved to Brindlewood Bay as their kind of like late in life second act, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they find friendship and companionship in one another. They all share the, uh, they all have a shared love of murder mystery books. And so they have a murder mystery book club that they, Mm -hmm. uh, that they go to every week called the murder mavens. And so they are also, they are called the murder mavens Mm -hmm. and they eventually start helping the local authorities solve actual murders taking place in their little town of Brindlewood Bay. Perfect. And as the campaign progresses, they also learn that these murders are all happening because they are part of a grand occult conspiracy. Um, hmm. Uh, and that's where the sort of Lovecraftian aspects of the game come into play, and so it's a game that sort of starts as a sort of cozy murder mystery thing, mm-hmm. but then it transitions into this kind of more darker horror focused thing at the end. And uh, yeah, and at the end they have to confront this cult in order to save their community. So, yeah,
0: amazing, absolutely love it. Um, so with the game, um, obviously we talked a lot about uh, the inspiration. This. Like you say, murder. She wrote and, mm-hmm. and and things like that. So I think those themes come through really clearly, and a bit of Cthulhu kind of thrown in there for <laughs> the there, yeah, yeah. of course. Why not? Um, but talking about system and your inspirations for that. So you chose um, kind of a Power by the Apocalypse sort of base mm-hmm. for it. Of did, course, yeah. there's edits and tweaks. Uh, what made you think that system would work really well for this this story?
1: Well, it was mostly just a matter of familiarity, if I'm being honest. I mean, oh. I there's there's a there's a universe where I played some other system more and maybe open <laughs> yeah. my mystery ideas onto that, you know? Um, but PBTA yeah. is what my community is really good at. It's what we're known for. Uh, mm-hmm. We, you know, we, uh, we, we did a lot to sort of promote powered by the apocalypse as a, as a forum. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and so it was just something that as in the gauntlet, we were very, very familiar with. And I was personally very familiar with because my favorite games are, you know, Monster Hearts, uh, you know, sure, uh yeah. Monster of the Week, like games like that, right? Mm-hmm. And so um and so yeah, that, that was mainly the reason why it has a powered by the apocalypse kind of foundation. Ah, sure. Yeah. Um, but I do like it. I mean, I think Powered by the Apocalypse mm-hmm. is a is a good fit for the sort of cinematic and genre-focused style of play that I prefer, and that indeed mm-hmm. Redwood Bay is. And yeah. so yeah but but then but then it has its own kind of elements particularly the mystery solving part of it which is mm-hmm. um, somewhat novel and uh and, mm-hmm. and different from what you find in PBTA and also the fact that it is scenario based right most PBTA games mm-hmm. don't have scenarios right so yeah
0: um, so talking a little bit about, we'll, we'll dive into the mechanics as we go, but maybe it'd be useful to talk about the characters, the people that you play mm-hmm. uh, in this game. So as you say, you're going to be playing these these, these elderly women or elderly mm-hmm. people maybe that are part of this uh, mystery club. Mm-hmm. Um, but how do we actually create a character? And what mechanically goes into it? Yeah,
1: the um, there's only a few choices to make. Uh, so I see you yes, have the, like if you're watching the stream, uh, you have the little sheet pulled up here. And mm-hmm. basically you, you, know, you pick your name. Uh, we have a selection of names there for you, but you can, mm-hmm. you know, Write your own name, of course. Um, mm-hmm. You pick your style, which is both an expression of your personal fashion sense as a murder maven, but also it should say something about your personality as well. Mm-hmm. And we have um, some of the styles are very like uh, the meaning is not immediately clear, and that's intentional. We I intend okay. for you to, to research them more. You know, like what okay. does it mean for your style to be Martha's Vineyard or Dorothy Spornak or Blouse <laughs> like, Barn? What does that mean, right? And so, and, and yeah. you can bring your own meaning to it as well. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, Every maven has a cozy activity, uh, which is a hobby they enjoy outside of murder mystery books, so baking, pottery, knitting, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your abilities, which is a five-score array, um, and you pick some questions that are called end-of-session questions that you are trying to role-play towards so that you get experience points at the end of the game. That's the only way you get experience points is by answering these questions positively or affirmatively. Mm-hmm. and. Um, and then you pick a move and the, the moves, there are two different sets of moves. Um, mm-hmm. there are the classic murder maven moves. And then there's the, yeah. the new set that we kickstarted or part of the Kickstarter, uh, one of the Kickstarter mm-hmm. uh, stretch goals. Uh, the classic moves are all inspired specifically by male TV detectives. Uh, so mm-hmm. your, your Fox Mulders, your Dale Cooper, uh, you know, um, Sonny Crockett. Paro, yeah. Well, well, Paro's in the other set, but yeah. Oh, okay, uh, yeah. These are TV detectives, like t- American TV detectives, we'll say. Oh,
0: okay, right, okay.
1: And, and men, that was a really intentional decision that they're all men, because okay. I had, it's a little bit of a joke on my part of like, in a lot of these old shows in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, like women were sort of like accessories in the story, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So here in my game, the men are the accessories. They're the abilities that the women use uh, to nice. <laughs>
0: I love right. that. So women aren't just standing
1: there going, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you've
0: seen any woman in a crisis, look at me, like, what exactly we do. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, that's uh, actually a really interesting, that's actually not a bad, a bad segue. Um, okay. Well, let me t- let me talk about the other set of moves real quick. There's another okay. set of Maven moves. You can basically play the game in two modes. Uh, the mm-hmm. other mode uses Maven moves inspired by classic detectives from literature. So there's your Poirot, your, um, oh, okay. your Mr and all those types of characters, Sherlock Holmes. And um, the moves, the move set in, in the new move set, the, the literature ones, they're a little bit more, um, they're a little bit more meta in a sense. Mm-hmm. And they're a little bit more like role play forward, I think, than the classic moves. Both are a lot of fun, but there's basically two modes of play essentially. Um, but speaking of like women though, and like how women are represented, that was actually a really big part of the design goal for me. Um mm-hmm. I, on the surface, the game is very like, you know, cuddly and cozy. And it's about these like older women and they wear cardigans and they solve murder mysteries. And it's very, you know, it's very Rosemary and Time, It's very Miss Marple. It's very all that, right? Um, But also I really would like for the game to kind of, I don't know, like frankly and unapologetically explore like what it means for these characters to be women, right? And so one aspect of the character sheet is called the crown of the queen and the crown of the void. Mm-hmm. And what they are essentially is, they're just a little series of prompts. There's about, I don't know, 10 total or something like that. And if you're when you're rolling dice, in order to get a better die result, uh, you can mark a crown of the queen or a crown of the void in order to get a better die result, and you just have to do what it says.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the crown of the queen all has prompts that explore the idea of the characters as women. And so, like, it's a really, like, kind of particular kind of narrative focus that has nothing to do with murder mysteries and nothing to do with Cthulhu mythos or, or Lovecraftian cosmic horror. It's really just, like, narrate a flashback to a time when you were an imperfect sister or daughter, right? Like, that kind of yeah. thing. Or or narrate, narrate, or narrate a scene in the present day showing how you find, you know, like, intimacy or satisfaction, right? Like, it's that kind of thing, right? And Um, And then the other part of it is the crown of the void. And those have more to do with like the Maven getting more wrapped up in the occult aspects uh, Mm -hmm. of of the story. But, but yeah, that was a really big part of the design for me. I did not want these characters to be um, caricatures. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. I think that comes through. And I think it's really nice to to have a game not only focusing on women, but older women as well. Cause typically yeah. in society, uh, older women are kind of invisible and we don't I uh, agree. look at them yeah. and talk about them and uh, and but you know, they're they're interesting for people with stuff going on and are involved in the occult. And I think we should Yeah, yeah.
1: That well. right. Yeah, we should honor that, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like when I was running this by like, you know, my like my aunts and my grandmother, you know, and mm. my and my mom, you know. And kind of talking to them about like you know, and in some sense they were kind of like consulting you know with me on this. Yeah, yeah. That,
0: you know, mm-hmm.
1: um, but 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 you know, but like talking with them and just kind of knowing their experiences and their life experiences. Um, yeah, I mean, you don't stop being a full person just because you're in your sixties or seventies. You know, yeah. like you, you you keep having desires and wishes and aspirations. And mm-hmm. this whole story, I mean, is about a group of women who basically, because their partners are deceased, they are deciding mm-hmm. late in life, like, this is my second act or my third yeah. act maybe, you know, like this mm-hmm. this is like my new you know, I'm, you know, in my twilight years, I'm going to like mm-hmm. live life to the fullest with this group of other women and I, th- I don't know it's very golden girls in that way as well yeah, so, yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but, no i think that's very true i think it is that is true for a lot of women when you know the, their partners pass away they're mm-hmm. in this new stage of life and they're like wow i get to recreate a different kind of life for myself and, well, because
1: women typically know, live yeah. a lot longer than men right especially if mm-hmm. their partners were men right i mean yeah um and 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 these characters of partners don't have to have been men but like yeah but but typically, it's you know, it's it's a woman outliving her husband by a long time, mm-hmm. you know, and so yeah, I think it's an interesting territory, and like you said, it's not something mm-hmm. we, it's not something we get in media much, much less role playing yeah. games, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, it's, so yeah,
0: it's great to see it, and I think it's really interesting playing these characters as well because generally, I think older women care less about what other people think about them, so they mm-hmm. will say what they want a bit yeah. more or they will have whatever hobbies or dress however they want. And so I think the style and the cozy activities are really mm. nice kind of nods to that about people just enjoying what they enjoy and living their life. Or
1: they so, will assert themselves in the middle yeah. of a murder mystery and say like, what were you doing on this day or that day or what was going on, you know? So, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh.
0: So speaking about that, let's talk mm-hmm. about the mystery system in mm-hmm. the game. Uh, mm-hmm. So t- tell, tell us about the mystery system.
1: Yeah. Uh, this is, um, this is the part of the game that I think, uh, some people are like really uh, skeptical of until they try it. I think once they try it, they're usually convinced, but yeah. um, the idea, so we have these, the game is scenario based. Uh, mm-hmm. The the core game comes with six mysteries, uh, six murder mysteries. And then we have uh, another book, a supplementary book called Nephews in Peril, uh, mm-hmm. which is, which has like 30 more mysteries of uh, mm-hmm. that you can use in your, in your game. Mm-hmm. And, the thing about these scenarios though these mysteries is there are not canonical solutions. So mm-hmm. the classic starter mystery dad overboard which most groups will play um, it will always have a different solution than like the next time you play it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because the keeper which is what we call the GM in this game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The keeper has no idea who did it. Uh, they right. have a list of okay. they have a list of suspects, they have a list of locations, they have a list of clues that they can kind of sprinkle throughout. Um, but they don't know who did it. And the characters can investigate however they want to. They can search wherever they want to. They can they can do online research. They can go poking around offices or yachts or whatever they want to do. They can talk to people. And the as the keeper, your job is to simply t- assess the moment, take a look at your clue list if they find a clue, if they roll dice and are entitled to a clue, and and work that clue into the moment, right? And mm-hmm. so... It's all about like, um, there's no wrong way to investigate for one thing, sure.
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you can always find the clues. But mm-hmm. the fun part of it, the part that makes it feel like you're actually solving a mystery, is when it gets when you have enough clues. As a play group, you then get together and you look at all the clues you've got and you start building a theory of the case mm-hmm. and you start saying, okay, well, based off everything that's happened in the story so far, based off these clues we have, uh, based off all the information we've got this is who we think did it, and this is why. Mm-hmm. And then you're gonna roll some dice, and depending on how many clues you're able to work into your theory, you get a certain you know bonus on the die roll to see if you're correct or not. And you can either be mm-hmm. correct, and you can then go bring the killer to justice. You mm-hmm. can be correct, but bringing the killer to justice will be difficult or complicated in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe you're wrong, and the person yeah. you thought was the killer gets killed themselves, and completely throws all of your planning out the window, right? Uh-huh. And so um, that's 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 kind of the thrust of the mystery system. It's this mm-hmm. it's this emergent collaborative thing, rather than one hmm. person at the table knowing the answer.
0: So very much designed to encourage collaborative storytelling. So yes. so if if people have come from perhaps they've been playing a lot of like D&D 5e, which can be less com- collaborative than that. Mm. Do you have any kind of guidance or advice for people running this style of game and, and, you know, yeah.
1: Um, you know, the thing is, I, I think it's not as hard as you might think. Um, mm-hmm. I happen to believe that role playing games as a medium are, you know, there, there are a lot of advantages that we don't have compared to other forms of entertainment. Right. Um, you know, video games have lots of interactive elements and visuals and movies have, you know, actors and visuals and all that kind of thing. Um, in terms of mystery books, like an actual mystery book, we have this like really particular forced perspective that, you know, you know, is, is, is an advantage that that we don't have in a role-playing game. And, but, but the one thing that role-playing games do really well is, is collaborative storytelling, right? That's the one mm-hmm. thing we can do in our form of entertainment that no other form of inter- entertainment can do. And so what I find is that the mystery system, this collaborative storytelling, it's not just like collaborating on the mysteries. You're also invited as a player to, to build out the scenes, to describe locations. Mm-hmm. You, there's lots of opportunities for you to to to, in, to give input to the keeper about what things look like and sound like. Um, this is not as hard as you might think, because yeah. really, truly, I think that all people or most people are natural storytellers. It's something we've mm-hmm. been doing as a species for a really long time, and yeah. and we're and we're pretty good at it as a result. Okay. And so, um, I find that it's not as it's not it's not so difficult, um, just because the typical gm player relationship is is a little more one-sided because that's the way it's been sort of historically it doesn't mean that's the way it has to be um it can certainly be this more like sitting around a campfire telling each other a story which again i think is something as humans we're pretty good at doing so Mm um you know trust the rules uh do what the rules say and and you should be able to get it get it done and have a good time
0: Fab. Um, for me, because uh, I'm this year new to like running games, so um, mm. this style of collaborative storytelling takes the pressure off me. I feel running yes. games because yeah. I don't mm-hmm. have to hold everything in my head mm-hmm. and have the story. I can just turn to the players and be like, "What's there? What do you mm-hmm. think?" Mm-hmm. And they'll come up with something better than I ever would. Absolutely. <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And some, and someone else will. Yes. And and just you mm-hmm. know that classic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. So running this kind of game, I feel is almost less intimidating than approaching a more traditional kind of crunchy role playing game with all this stuff you have to remember. Because you can I just agree. sit yeah. and tell stories, like you say, with other people. And, yeah. Uh, and
1: this game just happens to have a, a light mechanical overlay to make it all kind of go in a particular direction. But otherwise, it's it's pretty, um, I don't want to say freeform. There are certainly games that are much more freeform than mine. But
0: sure,
1: yeah. uh, But you know, like For the Queen or something like that. But mm-hmm. um, also very fun, but different. Um, but but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, the, I think the thing I really, really love that I had never, I don't know. I don't know if other role-playing game writers experienced this, but I certainly did a lot and it makes me very happy is the number of people who wrote me messages and still write me messages saying that Brindlewood Bay is the first game they've ever run. Like I've never GM'd a game before and mm-hmm. I, Brindlewood Bay was the first one because I felt comfortable doing it and it was great. And that makes me really happy like that they are having yeah. like this really good uh, kind of different experience first experience um mm-hmm. yeah and, and we, we try to support that as much as we can i mean the kickstarter edition of the book is has a really really robust keeper support section um mm-hmm. and then i do videos on youtube showing how more games are run so that people can see it in action and um and so we try to be as supportive as we can as far as that goes but i think you're right yeah there's just a basic sort of like in my mind, I agree. I think the crunchier mm-hmm. games are actually harder uh, yeah. in a lot of ways, even yeah. though they seem like they have more structure and more things going mm-hmm. on. That can be a lot to manage, and mm-hmm. and it and it can um, it can actually kind of get in the way a little bit of just like conversation, you know?
0: Sure. So, yeah. yeah. Well, with um, talking about Brindable Bay, like a lot of people are running it for the first time as a one-shot and I think Mm. the structure of it lends itself really well to one-shot sessions like going to conventions or just trying out running a game. Mm. Um, How is the game different if you're running it as a campaign or are there any slightly different ways you'd approach it if you're planning on doing a short campaign using it?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, we we wrote it to be a campaign. So all Mm -hmm. of the guidance in the book assumes you are running a full, you know, 12 Mm -hmm. to 15 session go of it, um, Mm -hmm. which is about how long it takes to do the full. Uh, we call it the dark conspiracy campaign. Like to do that full mm-hmm. campaign takes about 12-ish, 13 sessions, something like that, mm-hmm. um, which is about six mysteries plus the final confrontation with the cult. Uh, that mm-hmm. said, you're right. Uh, it does it does scale nicely to a convention setting and a one-shot setting because it's scenario-based, right? So you you can mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, just pick the one and go with it. I do think the one thing that's, kind of worth being mindful of if whether you're running it in a one shot or whether you're going to run it in a short series or whether you're doing it in the campaign is the pacing of the supernatural elements. Um, In a one shot, you are not obviously not going to have a lot of space to really get into the dark occult conspiracy aspects of the story. And that's kind of okay. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you can sort of like hint at it and let it kind of rest in the background and kind of, you know, be, an intriguing thing that players maybe think about but otherwise you're mm-hmm. just focused on the mystery that you're solving and that's perfectly fine um, but obviously as you get ready to like add sessions um you know you you will start you, you'll 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 start introducing more and more of these supernatural elements and the game helps you with that. so uh, mm-hmm. the game has this sort of uh, timer which is called uh, void clues. so there's mm-hmm. like special clues you can find called void clues and yeah. And whenever you introduce a void clue as the keeper, you're just showing a little bit of this sort of creepy supernatural elements, mm-hmm. peeking, you know, kind of creeping into the world, peeking into the world, showing, you know, sometimes it's in the background, sometimes it's just a weird little odd thing, but it's kind of, it's there, you know? But those void clues are also a a timer for the overall campaign. So you have this Mm -hmm. campaign sheet called the Dark Conspiracy Sheet. And essentially, as the Mavens find X number of void clues, they unlock the next part of the campaign, which changes the nature of the campaign, introduces new Mm -hmm. elements and things like that. So it's it's pretty structured and there's a lot of guidance Mm -hmm. there, but it's still fairly easy to manage and keep it, you know, it, it's still a fairly light load as far as managing a campaign. I find, um, mm-hmm. and so we tried to like strike a nice balance between being very supportive of the things keepers will need to keep going in a campaign, mm-hmm. while still leaving them lots of space to yeah. to improvise and incorporate what the play group is doing. So.
0: Yeah, and I guess the voice clues probably also help with uh, that tone shift that will come because I'm imagining yes. that when you first start playing this game, you'll be playing, you know. It could start off quite humorous and quite lighthearted yeah. with the yeah. characters, you know, meeting for their club and doing yeah. all this. And yeah. and then by the end it's the it's avoid clue happens. Tone. Yeah. 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 You're like, Whoa, <laughs> yeah uh, so I can yeah. imagine that naturally lets you bring in that change of tone and, and, and kind of pace it th- th- that way.
1: Well, and indeed the structure of the game is such mm-hmm. that basically after the first session of play, according to the campaign sheet, you after your after you've done your debrief, after after we think we're all done mm-hmm. with the game that day the keeper then narrates a little sort of MCU style stinger, right? Where they right. they narrate like they show an out of character scene showing the cult doing some dark stuff in the background, right? And so um, that's the real like the hook, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, the players might've been excited about playing this game already and they had a great first session, but then mm-hmm. that little stinger scene with the, with the cult uh, who are called the midwives of the fragrant void, that little stinger scene with the midwives mm-hmm absolutely hooks them in. They're like, Oh, I have to come back and see what is really going on here. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's it, 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 that, that it's all built in, right? Like that, like structurally th- that part of it, we've tried to make it so that the keeper can really just focus on like the scenario in the moment. And as long as they're following the structure, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of naturally unfurl those supernatural elements um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh without having to, like, think about it too much or or too hard. They kind of just kind of go with the flow and and follow the structure, and it it works out pretty well, I find.
0: That's really reassuring to hear the system helps with that, because I think a lot of people running a game for the first time, things they worry about is, how do I get the pacing right, and how do I get Mm -hmm. the tone shifts right? And so the fact that the the game has support built in for that is a little bit comforting. Well, definitely for me, anyway.
1: Yeah, well, Um, and, you know, the thing is, like, we our design and our publishing instincts all come from the fact that before we were a publishing group, the gauntlet was a play group. That's what we did. Right. We, 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 at our height, we were organizing like literally like 200 sessions a month. Right. You know, like online and, and, and face-to-face. And so as a community, we have like so much experience with play. Mm -hmm. And I think that that sort of, collective information and and knowledge and and institutional knowledge and Mm -hmm. knowledge about what, what works at the table has certainly filtered into our games. Right. So like we have a really good sense of like what works at the table. And so, um, mm-hmm. and it's, and it's, and it's, and it's reassuring when people then say, yes, this worked at the table, <laughs> yeah, yes. so we yeah, had a good yeah, experience yeah. with it. So it's like, Hey, great. God, glad to hear that. That's
0: the um, goal. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of play experience, I can picture mm-hmm. in person how this, you have all your clues and I can um, imagine when you're do- you're theorizing, you're literally on the table, putting stuff together and doing things no, like no. that. Um, how th- that would obviously be a bit different with online play. What kind of plans do you have for the game for yeah. uh, tabletops and online play?
1: So we're mostly an online play community, and Mm -hmm. um, we have uh, we have commissioned Roll Twenty to make some Roll Twenty assets. That was part of the Kickstarter that we did. Roll Twenty is working on that. Uh, We Mm -hmm. don't have a lot of direct involvement in that, Mm -hmm. but my understanding is that the eventual um, product, the Roll Twenty product, is going to have like a murder board kind of like Mm -hmm. uh, idea, and we have sent them uh the, the the many hundreds of pieces of artwork of characters and things for them to like incorporate yeah. into the role 20 product and so uh that's the thing that's underway uh in the meantime uh or alternatively uh in the gauntlet we use um we don't use anything like that in our online games we just use mm-hmm. uh what's called a character keeper um mm-hmm. this is a concept that we uh invented uh, a number of years ago where you basically use a google sheet to um, a shared google sheet as a you know highly formatted for a, for each game um to kind of track all your information and so we okay. we use that and and it's it's pretty effective and um I'm excited about the Roll Twenty product, but I'm really accustomed mm. to our Google Sheets, and so I'll probably just sure. keep using the Google Sheets myself. But yeah, yeah. Um, But so, so you can. I mean, the, the the Brindlewood Bay Character Keeper, who was created by Ben Bond, is excellent and like it's it's functional and usable and available now, and people can go play right away. It's how we play in the Gauntlet every single day um but the roll 20 product is coming um i know some people have made things for some of the other vtts those, those are not like official things but we uh-huh. certainly sanction them we're okay with that mm-hmm. uh but the official thing is coming from, oh there's also a role role, role uh vtt mm-hmm. implementation as well which is pretty good uh but the roll 21 is the one that uh we're really excited about um but we just we just don't know when it's coming out yet. i mean roll 20 they have their you know we're in their queue <laughs> so hopefully yeah we'll yeah.
0: Part, yeah yeah, so. yeah fantastic that's great to hear um so if people you know kind of want to find out more uh if or if they they listened to it and thought, you know, what, sold? I'm going to pick up a copy. Where's the best place for people to go?
1: Um, so, unfortunately, you can no longer pre-order the hard copies. Uh, however, uh, we have printed loads of extra physical copies of both *Bridlewood nice Bay* thing. and the supplement *Nephews in Peril*. You will mm-hmm. be able to purchase those um, from our partner at our partners at Studio Two Publishing. Uh, mm-hmm. So, we'll eventually have that purchase link somewhere on our website. Uh, mm-hmm. for now though, and uh you can get the PDFs on Drive through RPG. Um and uh we have PDFs of there's there's Brindlewood Bay, there's Nephews in Peril, and um they're terrific. But if you do want to wait and you wanna pick up the physical book from Studio Two, we do a PDF thing where a brick and mortar type thing where if as long as you just send us a receipt, we'll send you the PDF as well. So
0: okay. Oh, yeah. Great. yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. And oh, thanks for having with me uh, mm. Bay with us. It's been a really great time before you go. I do ask everybody if they have any recommendations for other TTRPGs and the rules yeah. are it can't be D and D cause this is not D and D and it can't be a game that you've made. Cause we spent a little bit of time talking about. Uh, Indeed. Your game.
1: No, fair enough. Um, I, I always like to, you know, I have a, a deep well of knowledge of indie RPGs. And so I like to pick mm-hmm. something a little bit outside the outside the box whenever I can. Uh, yeah
0: please
1: do i love the games of um matthias holter matthias Mm -hmm. holter is mostly known for larp uh for nordic larp Mm -hmm. but he did a number of really fantastic indie tabletop games in the uh, like in the 2010s and one of them that i'm gonna recommend is called the society of dreamers the society Mm -hmm. of dreamers hugely influential on my game the between, um, and I just love it. But basically, you play this group of people who are uh, in a sort of Victorian-era-esque setting. Mm -hmm. Um, You play this group of people who have become aware of these dream creatures called nemesites. And what they do is they get together to study the nemesites. And sometimes that means literally diving into the dreams of people who are being terrorized by nemesites to make contact with the nemocytes, right? Okay. What I, I love this game though, uh, the, the premise is great, but what I love about it is it's a game that uses like rituals of play in a really intriguing way. So mm-hmm. at the very beginning of the game, before you even start playing, you 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 stand up and you walk to the four corners of the room and you like yell gibberish into the corners in order to quote unquote like cast out the spirits you know in the room okay. um, you like candles to play you mm-hmm. um you have this like uh e- each little gameplay phase has its own like little sub game mechanic that you're do- dealing with and so one of them uh-huh. is kind of like a ouija board thing mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: one is this really fun process where you're diving into the a dreamer's mind and uh You, as the person diving into the dream, you narrate what you're seeing in in this dreamer's dream, but the other players control you. Uh, They, like, tell you, like, what to do. And so, I don't know. It's just got so many fun little rituals of play. And uh, it's a great, great game to play if you're just looking for something kind of spooky and you want to do something kind of you know, kind of, um, you know, a little bit different and outside the norm. It's, it's great fun. Yeah, yeah.
0: Definitely. And definitely seeing that Nordic LARP influence come in by a lot of the things you said yeah, there. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. In it's going it's, it's gonna be scary, let's it's, sit in it's, room and cry it's, for a few hours, it's, a, it's kind
1: <laughs> of a, I mean, Society of yeah. Dreamers is pretty close to a LARP. I mean, it's in some mm. sense it's a LARP because you're sitting around a table, messing around with Ouija boards and stuff like that. But um, yeah, uh, but it, yeah, but you can definitely see the LARP influence for sure. Yeah
0: yeah well that's a great recommendation thank you so much for sharing it with us um and again thank you for coming on and sharing your game with us and giving up your time uh would love to have you back on in the future because i know there's so many other great games that you have uh coming in the future and are already out now so i'd love to have you back to talk about them in the future for now that's all this week and thanks very much to everyone who watched and listened bye